It seems that we're always in election season. We just uh, had the midterm elections in November. We're about to enter local elections in Texas to city councils, uh, school district boards, community bo college boards, and more. Soon we will start the primaries and then presidential elections. We're always in election season. But how do you decide who to vote for? I'm going to assume that you only vote for candidates you can trust. But what makes you think you can trust them? The answer to this question varies and may surprise you right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? First, I made an assumption that you only vote for candidates that you can trust. But let me back this, up, uh, back this up with data. I did my survey in 2018 asking people what is the most important quality for them in other people. I gave them several options, including intelligence, including willingness to work hard, willingness to take risk, and trustworthiness. And trustworthiness came in first, 61.2%. But I asked about six types of people, and one of them was government representative, your government representative. And you ranked government representative at six, the trustworthiness, or how important is the trustworthiness of your government representative at 65.5%. So that's even more than the average of 61.2%. Uh, so... I do believe that we care about the trustworthiness of our government representatives. And it is important because when we elect them, we may be electing them for two years, maybe four years, three years in some local elections, sometimes six years to the Senate. That's, that's a long time for me to trust that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. But let's, let's ask the question, what is it that I trust them with? They run the country, whether we like it or not. They create the laws and the laws that I need to abide by, the laws that the government has to abide by. And they need to do that, as I said, for two, three, four, maybe six years. I need to make sure that they represent my interests and that they create a future that I would like. Sometimes it could be six years out. So that's what I trust them with. Now, what is the risk? The risk is that I get a candidate that does not deliver on the future that I like or, or that I want it to be and maybe do some things that are irreversible in, in their term. That's, that's the risk. And, and if you remember, the, uh, my definition of trust includes giving control. It's my willingness to give control to that other person, expecting them to minimize the risk and maximize the reward. What is it that I give them control over? That body that they're running for, 
whether it's the school board, the local school board, the local city council, or it's the president, the body that they are running for actually belongs to me. That's the nature of democracy. And I give them control over that body, the White House, Capitol Hill, I give them the, and, and, and indirectly, the Supreme Court. I give them control over that. But the interesting thing is that our criteria to who we trust or how we decide to trust someone, a, a government representative, an elected official, varies. I, I did a little uh, LinkedIn poll about a week ago. My question there was, how do you decide whom to vote for in elections? I got 27 votes, so it's not a lot. But 19% said their political ideology. 19%. 56% position on specific issues. Now, we got to be careful because specific issues can be short-term issues or long-term values. So I'm not sure based on, on my survey that I, I know the distinction uh, among the, the voters in that poll. So 19% political ideology, 56% position on specific issues. Only 11% open mind and willingness to listen. 11%. So that would be probably 3 out of 27 and then there were others, but, but really I can say that the others did fall into the three main categories. What I kind of regret is that, that I probably should have asked about political affiliation, values or long-term values, short-term positions on specific topics, maybe attitudes such as willingness to listen. But, you know, it is what it is. That's what I asked. That's what I got. Now, what's important is that there are going to be different things, different criteria at different levels and different levels will, will require different priorities. And I'll talk more about priorities in this episode. Take federal, state, and local. If we think about, uh, take abortion rights, right? I know it's, it's a pretty controversial issue. But at the federal level, we would probably care more about the candidate's position on abortion rights than we would in the local school district, when, when we vote for the local school district. So the first thing to keep in mind is that we are not, um, we're not really applying the same model or, or it's the same model, but not with the same priorities or the same emphasis on the different components of the model um, in the different levels. You know, take, for example, uh, competence. Competence would be different uh, and, and the priorities in personality compatibility is going to be different. You know, what, what is the competence when you're electing a judge? And we do elect judges, not, not directly Supreme Court, but the others, we, we do elect them, at least uh, locally. Uh, what, what is the competence that's required for a tax collector? What, are, what is the competence that, that we measure a sheriff candidate by? Th those would be different. So even if the model is the same, it has the same six components, it would have different, uh, different areas, different areas of those components, such as competence, uh, the, the example I just gave you. 
Now, different domains may be relevant for different levels. So I already said abortion would be more of interest. The position of a candidate on abortion would be more interesting to us at the federal level. Um, but we have to be careful because, one, um, what if that position does cross or, or that, that the position on this topic does cross into a different area? What if all of a sudden there is something in the local election, let's say city council, that needs to decide on building an abortion clinic. Well, all of a sudden you care about abortion at the local level and not only at the federal level. The other thing is that some candidates would use, uh, and, and it's not that, that it's a bad thing, but, but they would use their current position as a stepping stone to the next position. So many, many candidates at the highest levels, the highest offices, you're going to find that they started the school board and maybe then went to city council and maybe then were in the lo- the state legislature, whether as a representative or a senator, and then went to the U.S. legislature, the U.S. Congress, and, and so on. So a candidate that carries a position on a topic, on an issue that we don't care about so much for the current office that they're running for, that position might carry with them to higher positions. And we need to keep that in mind, even if that specific issue does not matter where for the specific office they're running for right now. An important point that uh, we need to keep in mind is that I will probably never be 100% in agreement with any candidate. The problem is that that we have this polarization today and and it's you know it's it's an inherent polarization it's it's built into our two-party system and and theoretically we're not limited to have two parties but only two parties have all the power. There was a study done by MIT in 2015 when they compared the cross-party agreements. So when did, uh, and this was in, in the Congress, the House of Representatives, and what they did was they counted how many times did members of the two opposite main parties agree on a roll call vote, so voted the same way. In 1977, that, that was the peak. Uh, they voted, they counted uh, 12,921 such agreements. So let's just call it 13,000. 2007, 30 years later, that number dropped from 13,000 to 181. In the entire 2007, even though there were 75% more roll call votes to count, they went from 13,000 to 181. Which brings the question, is compromise important? I think that it is. And, And by the way, this would be a point where I say that the positions here are my positions okay they're they're not the absolute truth uh that's that these are the positions that i hold um you're gonna find that i'm not you're not gonna hear from me positions one side or another based on on the political parties but rather positions as to what's important to me and to me compromise is important going back to when uh, members of the two parties can agree on things is important. 
the problem with when they don't agree is that first of all there there are changes every two years there there are changes of the makeup of the legislature and, and I'm talking about Congress specifically the house and and you know even the Senate every two years one third of the senators get re-elected or not re-elected replaced but but it can change the makeup of the legislature what was agreed on today can be overturned in two years and that is inefficient and it eliminates predictability and you know stability of of our uh of our lives really what he does right now is it drives people to the extreme. They focus on the extreme positions. They're not trying to reach compromises that would work for both sides. I mean, take gun control, for example. It's it's either you take away all of our guns that one of the candidates said, we're going to block your ability to uh, buy a certain type of gun or go all the, all the way to the other side and say, you cannot touch my gun. You cannot talk about my gun. You cannot say anything about my gun. Um, and, and I'm not going to make any concession. And I think that there are concessions on both sides that need to be made. If, if they only try to come up with, with a solution rather than winning a position. They're going for a zero-sum game rather than win-win. And, and that, unfortunately, every time the legislature is going to... The, the mix of the legislature is going to um, be going to change in in the opposite direction those positions can be overturned nobody none of them right now are giving up an inch of of land it's all or nothing now it's a valid position you can say it's a valid position and and i am going to fight to have my position period successful or or the the winning one the one that that gets legislated that that where laws are created it's a valid position it just it's not my position my, my position is i would like to have solutions um that even if i have to give up something and uh and and there are things that i'm willing to give up in in every topic but just to find the the best for both sides to to maximize the size of the pie I think the main components, the the main component of of the trust model that uh, that applies here is the personality compatibility component. So we are trusting a candidate, and therefore we vote for them because we have the maximum personality compatibility. And I say maximum because it's not a hundred percent versus zero. It's it's never going to be a hundred percent versus zero. I don't think that if I asked you. Um, about any candidates that you voted for, if if you agree with all of their position, with 100% of their positions, their values, their behaviors and all, I, I don't think that there's anybody you can point to and say, I agree with them 100%. We are 100% in personality compatibility. I, I need to, to, again, emphasize that compatibility does not mean that it's identical. It, it can be complementary. We have different positions on different areas. I think it's it's over simplified to assume that every Republican holds exactly the same positions on everything and every Democrat holds exactly the same positions on everything. 
not everything can be put into only one of two boxes. There, there are things where there are subtleties and, and we're losing those subtleties when you have to choose one or two. And the more extreme they are, it's, it's harder to say that, that there's something in between. But not everything is black and white. But when you have two parties and they both push to the extremes, then everything must be black and white. And, and it's all lumped together. So you, you have to agree with one block or the other block that there is no other alternative. And we are. We are missing the subtlety and the diversity of uh, different topics. Now, so how do we choose? I'm going to give you an example. Let's say that one candidate is pro-gun, Second Amendment, and pro-life. Period. No compromises. Candidate two is anti-guns and pro-choice. You, you can, in your head, you can assume the party affiliation based on these two alone. Now, what do I do? Hypothetically, I, I told you I don't want to share my positions on specific topics. Maybe uh, later down uh, this uh, podcast uh, in one episode, uh, I'm going to feel like sharing uh, a little more. But let's say, hypothetically, that, that I'm pro-gun, Second Amendment, and pro-choice. I, I want the, the woman to decide what she does with her body, and, and that includes abortion at, at a certain age. Who do I vote for? Because I agree with one of them on one topic and the other one on the other topic. I disagree with the first one on the second topic, and I agree with the second one on the first topic. So who do I vote for? This is where we get into prioritization. So I have to prioritize what's more important to me and what's less important to me to be able to decide between the two candidates. By the way, we may uh, vote for the same candidates or the same candidate, you and me, we may vote for the same candidate for different reasons. And, you know, you have to keep in mind that what works for me may not work for you. And even though we may belong to the same party, especially in primaries, I may vote for a different candidate than you because they are different. Of course, once we're past the, the primaries and one of them gets elected, obviously everybody rallies in the party, rallies behind them. So what's important to me? Now, I already talked about, and, and I'll probably get back to it a little later, but what's important to me is not necessarily specific topics, short-term positions on topics. What's important to me at the highest level is I want candidates that care about everyone, candidates that, that don't just feel the party loyalty and care only about listening to and doing things for people who voted for their party. I care about intelligence. I want to put people smart over there. So call it the, the standard, the classic intelligence, you know, your IQ. And I care about your emotional intelligence. I, I, I'm looking for somebody who's challenging the orthodoxies, challenging the way we do things uh, now, that do not accept this is how we do things around here. Someone who's curious, someone who looks for more information and is not 
you know, blindfolded going into, this is what I said I'm going to do. I'm looking for somebody who's listening before and after the elections. And and maybe this is a good time to say that uh, I'm trying to reach, at least in local elections, I'm trying to reach to all candidates and candidates reach out to me. Um, because there are a lot of people, and I'll get back to that, uh, that ask me, who do you think I should vote for? I didn't have time to do my research. I'd like to be the person that did the research. And sometimes I have candidates that just, uh, they, they kind of blow me off. And the reason they blow me off is because, uh, you know, somebody told them there's no chance he's going to vote for you. He's going to spy on you. He's going to try to mess with your head. That's fine. You know, but you can listen to people who tell you that but to me you lost your vote the moment you said i'm i'm not willing whether you said it or it just ignored me i'm not willing to meet with you um because if you're not willing to meet with me when you need every vote you're definitely not going to meet with me after the elections so any candidate right now that feels that uh ooh i think he's talking to me then i am i'm talking to you Actually, at the lowest is the political ideology. You know, in different areas, I can agree with uh, with one party. In other areas, I can agree with another party. So I, I have a problem. Uh, I don't choose a candidate because they have their loyalty to one party. And, you know, uh, some of you, you, you may know me well enough to know that uh, I have voted for candidates from both major parties. So those areas, the things that I care about is how I establish the personality compatibility with the candidates to decide that I can trust them. There are other components to to my relative trust model, and and I'll touch briefly on some of them. Competence, I, I kind of touched on competence, but how do you measure competence or decide whether the candidate is competent enough? Uh, some candidates are already in office. They're either the incumbent or have been in office for long enough. They have history. You, you can look at their competence based on their history. Otherwise, you know, it's it's really down to my assessment and their resume. You know, what, what have they done other than this? And what makes me think that they're going to be competent? You know, somebody who was a CEO of a company that was uh, very successful, the company had thrived during their his or her term as a CEO. I know that at least on financial and, and business areas, they're going to be good. They're going to be competent. Symmetry, um, you know, it's not so much with the candidate as it is with the party. Although I like candidates who are down to earth. They don't make you feel like uh, they're above you because they're really not. We're the ones putting them in place, and I really hope that in the next two, three, four, six years or more, if they get reelected, they're not going to treat me as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a peasant and, and they're the uh, royalty because they got elected. The components of, you know, positivity uh, in, in every interaction with them. How much BS do they deliver? And unfortunately, a lot of our... Our candidates, our political candidates, our politicians in general, use a lot of BS when they communicate with me. And I don't know why they think that I can't sense that. Because I can. Empathy. How much do they care about me? There was a time when um, 
there were two candidates for the state Senate and, and I met with both of them and I'm, I'm going to admit that I was biased in favor of one of them. And it's not so much that I knew him as much as I knew his brother. And his brother was is still one of the people that I appreciate the most. I respect him a lot. Um, and I just assume that, you know, the other brother is going to be just like him. So I was already biased in his favor. Another candidate came across, at least from a distance, at least from what I heard, as, as you know, very strict uh, holding to specific positions and so on. So I was biased against her. And if you are one of them, you know who I'm talking about. But I met both of them. And what happened was that the first one kind of took me for granted. You know, even though I had served on uh, the, the school district board, and that's one of the prominent school district board, so I'm an elected official by myself, uh, by my own right, and, and he just uh, made a lot of assumptions, was telling me what I should or should not do in my position, was very condescending. He was late to the meetings. Uh, one of the things he did was he threw his uh, assistant under the bus when he said he was late to a meeting, and, and he blamed it on her. And the other candidate, she came in, she asked questions. She wanted to know things. She asked for my perspective. She listened, and it actually turned me around, and I ended up supporting her officially uh, and not supporting him. So, you know, whether it's symmetry, whether we put it under empathy, that's important. The, the other two trust components, uh, I... Typically, I bundle them together. Uh, those are time and intimacy. The more time uh, and the more intimacy, and by intimacy, I really mean uh, spending time in person, face-to-face, -face, looking at their body language. The more time you spend with a candidate, the more you get to sense if that's somebody you can trust or not. There is another component that plays a role, especially if you don't know enough about a candidate. So, you know, I can do my internet research, I can listen to videos of them talking about specific topics, but what I don't know, I make assumptions. But the party affiliation, I, I refer to it kind of like an override, so it overrides your, your uh, assumptions. And it's based on the fifth law of trust, and that's that trust is transferable. Well, first, it's transferable because, uh, you know, people ask me, who do you think I should vote for? Uh, we haven't done the research, and the only reason they ask me is because they trust me. I haven't failed them before in giving them my, my position. They know me well enough that we have a strong enough political personality compatibility so that they can tell, uh, you know, if you tell me I should vote for this candidate, that's what I'm going to do. And so if I trust the candidate, then, and they trust me, then they will trust the candidate and vote for that candidate. Um, and, and by the way, uh, and I'm really proud of the fact that I have both Republicans and Democrats asking me, and, and believe me, there is a wide variety in each one of them as well. The, the component of symmetry does play here, 
not so much with the candidate, as I said before, but with other people in the party. So we would tend to rely and trust other people in the party. And if the party said, this is the candidate we should vote for, and, and I feel myself, and again, it, it's a matter of how much do you feel that you are part of the party, that, that group, how much do you share, how much personality compatibility you have with everybody in that party. But because of that, I trust their position and, and I vote that way as well. Other than that, it's, it's really a personality compatibility uh, compromise that's based on priorities. You know, it's uh, one party is more affiliated or, or more compatible with my positions uh, based on my priorities. And therefore, I vote for candidates uh, from that party. And as I said, I voted for candidates from both major parties. The last topic that I want to comment on or talk about is, uh, again, I'm going back to values versus positions. And, and values are what I refer to as the why. Why do you do things uh, versus positions, which is what do you do or how do you do something very specific on a specific topic? I always prefer values over positions, so alignment on values versus alignment on positions. And and I'll I'll tell you a story. When, when I ran, uh, when I ran for the school board, I think it was the second time, I was uh, interviewed by an organization called Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and you can only guess what their focus is, what they care about, what what they prioritize. They prioritize fiscal responsibility. Well, so do I. And then one of the questions that they asked me at the interview is, will you make a pledge not to create, never to create a new tax? And I said, no. And there was this pause, uh, I think a pause of amazement during the interview when the interviewer asked me, wait, you do realize that we care about fiscal responsibility and you just said no to pledging that you're not going to raise another tax. And I said, well, here's the problem with that, with that pledge. What if we eliminated two taxes, added one, making the overall tax liability lower? So, well, that's then obviously we would expect you to do it, to, to, to eliminate the other two and, and put this one. I said, but that would be a violation of, uh, the, I will be breaking the pledge that I made to you. Because my pledge was very specific, do not raise another tax. So I would prefer to tell you what my values are and you decide whether you align, whether you feel personality compatibility with those values because those values are what's going to drive me to make decisions as opposed to I'll tell you exactly how I'm making the decision right now because the problem is one, circumstances will change and therefore I'm going to break my pledge keeping the, the same value but I really am breaking my, my pledge. Or alternatively, circumstances have changed. I'm going to keep my pledge and I'm going to vote in a less efficient, less effective way that's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you because I made the pledge and I, I kept my, my promise to you. This is why I always prefer to know things at the value level. Um, I would vote for candidates at the value level, even if they don't agree with me or I don't agree with them. 
on specific topics, specific issues. The other thing is keep in mind that new issues come up and old issues go away. You know, I remember uh, in the previous election cycle where people were talking to me about uh, their positions. They're running because of their positions on masks during COVID. Well, what do you do when, when it's over and their masks are not, not the issue anymore? What do I know about your position on other things? I would rather know your values rather than your positions on specific topics. So, you know, I'll just finish that story by telling you what were my values that I shared with them. I said, look, you know, I have four values. That's what I'm running on. I'm not running on specific issues. I decide on specific issues. I vote on specific issues based on those values. Number one, not necessarily in order of importance, but number one, to me, there is no single achievement gap. Achievement gap, uh, for the lack of a better uh, definition, is the difference in average performance of two different demographic groups, specifically of students. Uh, I was running for the school board. To me, there is no single achievement gap. We had at the district, when I was running, 55,185 achievement gaps, individual, independent achievement, achievement gaps. And those were the gaps between every student's performance and potential. That's the gap we need to close. And no, we don't close it by reducing their potential. We close it by increasing their performance to where their potential is. And we need to do that 55,185 times independently. That's one value. The second value was that I want to raise a generation that is patriotic, ethical, and gives more than it takes. I'm afraid that we're in in a our culture right now is more, uh, and, and research shows that, it's more like the world revolves around me. And I'm not sure if I ever told you that story before, but I'll tell it to you now. Uh, when Shira was in high school, I remember several times that that I would drop her off at school and, and we would wait in this long car line because the person at the top of the line didn't care how long the line was. She was going to talk to her son before he goes to school and I don't care how many cars are behind me. I remember one time another car was just she was cutting across the entire line, got to the top of it, dropped off her daughter and left. One day I remember Shira, um, she hurt her knee and she was using crutches. And I took her to school that day and uh, I asked her, Shira, do you want me to drop you off at the car line or do you want me to drop you off at the parking lot? And she said, parking lot. And I said, but Shira, you're using crutches. It's a much longer walk. Are you sure you want me to drop you off at the, the parking lot? And Shira said, Dad, I don't want to hold the line while I take my crutches out of the car. That's a generation that I want to raise. I want to raise a generation that is patriotic, ethical, and gives more than it takes. The third one was that uh, I wanted to leave the district in a better shape than when I got on the board. When I get off the board, I want to leave the district in better shape. And to me, the, the topic that I found myself really focused on was school district debt and how to restructure it. And and I'm proud, you know, the, I had other achievements. I, I achieved other things uh, in my uh, tenure on this board, in my term on this board. But one of them that I'm really proud of is um, the creation of a policy 
that reduces debt and allows us to take debt in a much more efficient way where a lot more of the money that we're taking, the taxes that we're taking from taxpayers is used to actually building things for the district or maintaining things rather than uh, to pay interest, which is an inefficient use of a bond or, or debt, school district debt. And the last one is I told them that I will never ever forget that I was not appointed by the current board. I was not appointed by the Texas Association of School Boards. I was not appointed by the Texas Education Agency. I was voted into my office by 3,979 people, which is really all it took to win an election, a local election. It's about 5% of people who can vote. But um, I respond to the people. And it's not only those who voted for me. It's everyone, and and I made that one of my main values, that I will meet everyone that needs to meet with me. Uh, Not when I need their vote, but when I need to help them. Anyway, those were my four values, and uh, I really, when I choose candidates, it's more important to me what their values are than how they're going to vote on very specific issues that can change tomorrow. Because circumstances have changed or the issue is no longer an issue. I know that in this episode, I, I kind of rambled around uh, issues. And, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm going to blame it on the microphone, my main microphone broke and I'm using a separate microphone. Quality might not be as good, but this is a microphone that has to be stuck in my face and it was kind of distracting. Uh, but the other thing is that this this is a, uh, a very broad topic and, uh, and it, it keeps changing, for me at least. Back in uh, 2018, I wrote with a co-author, uh, Lori Van, uh, a book called Cause of Death, Political Correctness, How PC Kills Creativity, Productivity, and Children. That book has three parts. The first part uh, talked about what is uh, political correctness, what are the consequences of political correctness. Uh, the second part really talks about how we got here. Uh, why do we have this level of political correctness? But it's the third part that I want to mention because the third part really only has two chapters and uh, those chapters were named uh, 2034A and 2034B. And what I presented were two alternative futures of where, not just our political systems, but where would the United States go from here? One would be one uh, that would include more compromise. We're going to get together. We're going to be stronger because uh, we're trying to solve problems rather than entrenching positions. But the other one, the other one essentially leads to the breakup of this union. There was a 2016 study, and I want to... First, the topic, the, 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 uh, uh, the headline of that study, the title, is Political Polarization is in its worst since the Civil War. By the way, the funny thing is, if you think that the 60s were very political, I mean, with uh, Vietnam going on and, and other things, um, you know, assassinations, political assassinations in the 60s, that was actually the lowest, the, the, the smallest 
polarization that we had between the two major parties. It was in the 60s. The level we have now, and this is a 2016 study, and you know what? Between 2016 and now 2023, I'm going to venture and say the level of political polarization did not go down. It went up. But when you look at the chart that they have in this article from the University of uh, USC, I'm, I'm trying, I think it's the University of South California as opposed to South Carolina. But um, if you look at the chart that they put there, you're going to see that the level of polarization we have today is very similar to, um, to the level we had at the 1860s and 1870s during the, the Civil War. So here's another quote from that uh, article. In a political world where polarization grows more extreme over time, dealing with the political issues of the day becomes more and more difficult. Where do we go from here? I don't have an answer. I hope that in this uh, episode, what I shared with you was... Uh, you know, giving you not not so much how I vote, or I, I'm hope I I didn't come across as telling you how you should vote, uh, and and I'm not talking about the Republican Democrat. I'm talking uh, I didn't even try and convince you that uh, how you should prioritize different topics. What I was trying to do in this episode is help you figure out what makes you trust a candidate using my model and the different components in this model, but help you figure out rationally what makes you trust a candidate. And, and remember that the same things that would cause you to trust one candidate could cause me to trust another candidate. What works for me may not work for you. What's important to me may not be important to you. And neither one of us is right and neither one of us is wrong. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.